Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Matthew 28. Every good coach knows that the key to victory is to be well-versed in the fundamentals. There's a coach who is uh, very successful named Bear Bryant. And at one point, his team was not doing particularly well. And he felt it was time to review the basics. So he got his football squad together. Said, today we're going to start at the beginning. Reached under the table, held up a very familiar object and said, Men, this is a football Another coach, John Heisman, on the first day of practice, he decided to rewind the tape a little further. and He was going to define the football for his men. He said, a football is a prolate spheroid in which the outer leather casing is drawn tightly over a somewhat smaller rubber tubing. Better to have died a small boy than to fumble one of these. Now, there's an issue this morning to which, for you and I, it would have been better for us to die a young movement than to drop this. It is the factor which makes us different, and we are different. It is the reason for everything we do. When we measure any trend, when we look at any doctrine... They are weighed in the light of how they might affect this one issue, and that is the issue of discipleship. So I want to use this last morning seminar to minister a very basic message that I've called Discipleship 101. Matthew 28, let's read 18 through 20 together. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want to look first of all at discipleship defined. The word disciple literally means a learner or a pupil. In our text The King James Version says, go into all the world and teach all nations. Other translations say, make disciples of the nations. Uh, And literally, we see by definition that a disciple in the most purest sense is a learner, a pupil. It's an individual that's being taught how to serve God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, be ye followers of me even as I also am of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 4.16, he says very plainly, Wherefore I urge you, be followers of me. 
And so one of the questions that we get and one of the contentions that people have about discipleship is people will ask the question and say, am I a disciple of Jesus or am I a disciple of a man? And the answer is you're both. Because Paul said, I want you to follow me. I want you to look at my life. I want you to examine how I live. And I want you to do what I do as I follow Christ. We uh, had a bit of a shake-up in Gallup a couple years ago. Uh, is actually why I went there. And, uh, you know, in, in all rebellions, you have the inevitable splitting off of, of, of rebels and then the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the dynamics of relationship and where to draw the lines and, and things like that. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Stands have got to be made and, and all that. And so uh, the man who's on staff with me, uh, he, uh, he's married, uh, his wife, her parents left in the rebellion and, and uh, they just had a, a son uh, shortly after they came on staff. And so, uh, you know, they're going to do a baby shower. And, you know, obviously, you know, while they've made a stand with their parents and, and with, with people, you know, it's, it's inevitable there's going to be some, some mixing. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So the big question was, Pastor, you know, uh, you know how do we do this shower, man? How do we, how do we work through the dynamics and, and, and all that? And so we came up with an ingenious plan. I said, Nick, this is what you do. And you'll immediately uh, seal dominion in this baby shower. I said, number one, do the baby shower at somebody's house. Don't do it at the church. And number two, what Nick did is he went and got a t-shirt for his little baby boy. And he had printed on the t-shirt, future disciple of Pastor Wayman O. Mitchell. They had complete dominion the whole night. Amen. Just laid it right down. Hallelujah. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Or are you a disciple of a man? The answer is you're both. Paul said, be followers of me as I follow Christ. And a disciple, or the idea of discipleship, holds the idea that you are the pupil or the student of a certain individual's disciplines and concepts and principles. There was a great pianist named Paderewski. And it was not uncommon for people that studied under him to say, I am a disciple of Paderewski. Or literally, in my attempt and desire to master the piano, I am following the principles and the concepts and the disciplines of this man named Paderewski. So it is with Christianity. Being a disciple is going to involve a relationship with a man. That man will be a teacher, and he is going to bring certain concepts, certain disciples, certain methods, as it were, attempting to help you master the Christian life. And throughout church history, it's not uncommon to read about Irenaeus, who was a disciple of Polycarp, and Polycarp who was a disciple of John the Beloved. And in the New Testament, you read of disciples of John the Baptist. So we're not talking about some weird guru thing here. 
We're not talking about some cultic thing where you co-sign your life over to somebody. But we're talking about a disciple is a pupil who is following a certain man who has certain uh, uh, concepts and principles and disciplines in your attempt to master this journey called Christianity. You are the student of a man. And that's Bible. And the design of discipleship is to discover and fulfill the will of God for your life. Discipleship is not solely the training of men to be pastors. We believe in that. Amen. We're going to be sending churches out tonight. Thank God for for men that are called to preach and learn the fine art of pastoring and preaching from uh, their discipler. But you know, not everybody's called to preach. And that doesn't mean you're not a disciple. Discipleship is not a preacher factory. It will produce men, thank God. It'll produce churches. uh, But those that are not called to preach are no less disciples. Because everybody's called to something. And everybody has a destiny. And the key thought is it's your job to discover and fulfill the will of God for your life. See, God's will for your life is not everywhere, and it's not anywhere. It's somewhere. It is linked to an assembly. It is linked to a group of people. It is going to involve your fulfilling a place in that assembly. And so discipleship, a disciple, is a man who sincerely aspires to discover and fulfill the will of God for his life, and a discipler is a teacher with a sincere desire to help another man discover and fulfill the will of God for their life. I want to look secondly then at discipleship experienced because in Mark's companion scripture, this is very, very well defined. He said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. Now these two scriptures, Mark 16 and Matthew 28, are really one event. It is two accounts of one event. It is the Great Commission. They are to be taken together, and that is our marching orders are to go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples. Or literally evangelizing the lost, uh, taking those converts, equipping them to do the same, releasing them into the harvest field. That is the calling of the church, uh, and different people are going to have a different expression in this, but everybody in the church has the same aim. If principle number one of discipleship is that a disciple is an individual sincerely seeking to discover and fulfill the will of God for their life, the second principle is that all true discipleship is in the context of evangelism. Now, it, it's, it's almost too bad that has to be said, but it does. Because there are different fads that have gone through the church. Some of you are old enough to remember that the, the fad of the 80s was called shepherding. Shepherding. And this was the thought that every decision in the life of a believer has to be cleared through headship. And toward the end of the 80s, Charisma Magazine had a, uh, I believe it was, was one of these, these, these idiot magazines anyway. 
I still have it at home. It was a black cover with quotes. It said, discipleship is wrong, I repent. Discipleship is wrong, I repent. How can discipleship be wrong? Discipleship is not wrong. It was that man's concept of discipleship that was wrong. And what had happened is it came folding in and breaking in around him, amen, because here was this mentality that discipleship uh, or shepherding meant, you know, if you're going to buy a car, you need to go to, you know, the head Buana and say, oh, Buana, wise one of the earth. What car should I buy? Who should I marry? You know, no pastor in their right mind is going to try to run somebody's life, okay? I got enough problems of my own. I don't want your problems. And, and, and the reality is there are people that are looking for a spiritual guru that will be the guarantor for every stupid decision. And discipleship is not running people's lives. Amen. I'm not going to tell you who to marry. Because, you know, you know, six months later when you wake up and look over at her and go, oh my God, you're going to be coming after me, man. It ain't happening. You know, I might give you a little insight in it, you know, like if, 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 you know, if, he, if he just got saved and he was a pimp and a drug dealer, and you might want to give him a little while to get a job, you know, I might try to give you some wisdom, but I'm not, you know, it's not my job to make everybody's decisions for them in life. See, this swept through the church in the 80s. It was called shepherding. And when that blew up in their faces, all of a sudden they backed off from that. But that's not discipleship, friend. There's the Wookiee mentality. You know, that discipleship is, you know, uh, you know, disciples coming over and washing your car. You know, doing your dishes or ironing your suits or some bizarre, perverse thing like that. The, the term that's used now is mentoring. This is a term borrowed from the secular world. And too often this term mentoring is devoid of a focus on soul winning. It's, 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 it's more aimed at personal growth and success. That is not discipleship, friend. Discipleship is discipleship. Discipleship is not longevity. Discipleship is not hanging out with a pastor. Discipleship is not sports. It is not fishing and it is not breakfast. You're going... Really? I, I can f- if you look in the New Testament, Jesus was discipling men by doing one thing, and that was directing them to the harvest field. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you have received, freely give. This was not a classroom setting. This is the error of the Bible school. Where at, 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 at a large portion of church history, the concept was to take these men that were called to preach, remove them from the church, and put, put them in a sterile classroom environment and fill their heads with knowledge. You know, there's nothing wrong with learning how to read, men. There's nothing wrong with getting some good doctrine. You need to do that. 
But the weakness of that is it is not discipleship because Jesus took his men, he imparted to them and sent them into the harvest field, said, I want you to preach the gospel, I want you to lay hands on the sick, I want you to pull some altar calls, I want you to minister to people. Sometimes they came back successful, other times they came back failures. That's discipleship. It is the master-apprentice situation, like a carpenter or a mason where the student would go with the master and watch and then be released to try them themselves. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. He said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So there's times that these guys would go out and do their little mini crusades and come back Sunday morning. I want to give God the glory. We went out to such neighborhood. We preached the gospel. We had 47 people get saved. <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> but even then, Jesus said, he gave them pointers in their success. He says, don't rejoice that the demons are subject in your name. You rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And he's bracing these guys. He said, look, man, it's not always going to go down like that. Because sometimes you're going to come back and say, well... We sowed the seed. We're believing God for a harvest. Thank you. That's discipleship. And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. For I say, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, remove hence into yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goes not out but by prayer and fasting. The other times they tried to cast the demon out of the little boy and they couldn't. They said, Jesus, what went wrong? This is discipleship. Discipleship. There's nothing wrong with being around your pastor. There's nothing wrong with going out to breakfast. But friend, that's not discipleship. Without the involvement in, in the evangelism, without involvement in the harvest field, you're not discipling men. I remember when Louis Oliver was disciple in the, in the Vegas church. And I was there, and, and he, he just, he's, he's wanting to do his own outreach, and we're doing movies at apartment complexes. So he says, Pastor, I want to go do a movie outreach. I said, go ahead, Louie. So he decides he's going to go to the old folks' home, do a movie. <laughs> they need to get saved, huh? So he chooses crossing the switchblade. <laughs> this is only about seven hours long, you know. You know, these, these guys fighting in New York, you know, and, and here's all these geriatrics, you know, wheeling out, you know. <laughs> he told me about it later. He said, Pastor, you know, I was all ready for my altar call, man. I'm ready, you know. I get up there, there's 17 of them out there. I don't know how many were still awake, but he gets up. He says, I just start, every head bowed, every eye closed. He says, this old lady off to my right just pipes up and says, I wish he'd shut up so we can all go home, go to our rooms and go to sleep. And I said, Louie, always remember when you preach, there are very few people that have the honesty to say that to you, but that's what they're all thinking. <laughs> See, with, without those experiences, you don't have discipleship. Discipleship is in the context of evangelism. And the key, beloved, if you want to, to disciple men, you are going to have to create a culture of evangelism in your church. 
A wise pastor is creative to find avenues of involvement for his people so they can be involved in evangelism, whether that's Saturday outreach uh, or whether that's, you know, a ministry to, to the prison or whether that's, a, you know, a music group uh, or, or even, uh, you know, the old folks home or, or different areas of involvement. And not everybody's wired the same way, man. Not everybody can do the same thing. I remember being on staff with... Pastor Mitchell, the door director, and they put together this, uh, this play, this group of people, you know, and these weren't the normal people that were involved in ministry. They put together this play. And they asked us to come and, and to, uh, to preview the play on a Tuesday night. I'm sitting there watching it, you know. And it was, yeah, you know. When it was over, I, I just, I just kind of made some snide remark to Pastor Mitchell, you know. Thought he'd agree with me. He didn't. <laughs> and he turned, as only he can turn, and he said, he said, Payne, what you got to understand is this is important because these people are involved. I never forgot that. These people are involved. See, not everybody, you know, can get up with their guitar mouth in the music scene, you know. You know, not everybody's wired that way. You know what I'm saying? Not everybody fits into that mold pastor you know as a matter of fact let's just be honest what makes our music scene go is not you know Mick and the boys hardly right it's those faithful dear saints that sit out there week after week after week after week after week Listening to the same songs over and over and over. You know, until one of your kids at the dinner table starts singing one of them and you go off. Shut up! Shut up! I don't ever want to hear that song ever again. Get me started with that song. I don't want to hear that song anymore. Eh, sorry. Sorry. You pray for the drama because that's the only thing that's different. It's like, God, please, let it be funny and not morbid tonight. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Say it isn't so, man. And if you want to have disciples, you're going to have to create an atmosphere. You're going to have to create a culture of evangelism. And you're going to have to lead your people into that and release them into that and create avenues and, and encourage involvement in discipleship and evangelism because there's a lot of things you can fake, but you can't fake fruitfulness. Amen. See, a man can learn how to wear the tie, you know, and do all the things and, and, and climb the ladder that everybody says isn't there. can't fake fruitfulness and that makes men desperate if a man's really called and really has a heart and really has your heart it'll teach it'll teach a man to pray it'll teach a man to get a hold of God at the altar it'll teach a man how to treat people because my God I need fruit I gotta have fruit I've gotta have souls God I gotta have this and if they don't have it at home there's a good chance they're not gonna have it out there 
All true discipleship is in the context of evangelism. I want to close thirdly then with the key to advancement is faithfulness. Paul gives us some insight. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, And the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Think about this. What we have here are generations of discipleship. Paul, who was a disciple, says to Timothy, the things you have heard of me, commit to faithful men who might be able to teach others also. And the key word there is the word faithful. Faithful men. The word faithful means trustworthy, reliable, dependable. Somebody who is faithful can be counted on to be where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there, doing what they're supposed to be doing. That is faithfulness. It means that God can count on them. It's not just when pastor's in town. Hello. You know, if you're the kind of person that only feels, you know, like you need to be in the prayer room when pastor's around, please hit the road, okay? I mean, that, that is pathetic. We're talking about faithfulness. You can be counted on by God to be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, doing what you're supposed to be doing, whatever that may be. There's also a sense that men can count on you. Your pastor can count on you. Your Bible study leader can count on you. Your music group leader can count on you. The church can count on you to be where you are supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, doing what you're supposed to be doing. And all advancement in the kingdom of God comes right there. If any man come after me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sits not down and counts the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. A true disciple puts Jesus Christ before family, before money, before recreation. In the context of putting Jesus first, there is a place for family. You better not lose your family. There is a place for money. You need a job. And there's even a place to unstring the bow from time to time. But the question is, who gets top billing? Who gets top billing in your life? See, Jesus said, you're going to have to lay down your life. We're talking about martyrdom here. We picture martyrdom as Fox's Book of Martyrs. What a great book. Required reading in in my church if you're a disciple. Fox's Book of Martyrs. These men who stood bravely, allowed themselves to be tied, you know, to the post, or some of them said, I'll stand here willingly, go out in a blaze of glory singing choruses as they die. Now, I've thought about martyrdom before, and I would never take anything away from from men that do something like that. But I've been tempted to believe that almost it might sometimes be easier to just go out in one blaze of glory. You know what I mean? Just just put it right there. Get the bullet right there. Ready? Bam! And then you're there. You know? I mean, 
I, I'm not trying to minimize that. But discipleship is a different kind of martyrdom. Instead of your life like being worth a million dollars and you push it all into the middle of the table and said, okay, turn it for Christ. Bam, it's over. It's like taking that million dollars and changing it in for quarters. And every day, you're making decisions to put Jesus first. 25 cents at a time. I die daily, Paul said. That's what a disciple is. Amen. To lay down your life for your whole life. And put him first. He, goes beyond, he comes before your flesh. He comes before your convenience. He comes before. That doesn't mean to be, to be a Christian means misery. There's no better life, friend. I came that you might have life and that more abundantly, but be honest, Jesus said, without the cross, you are not my disciple. Where's the cross? Pastor, do you preach the cross? Do you demonstrate the cross? Let's start there. Because if you don't demonstrate the cross, don't even try to preach the cross. We're not talking about some kind of morbid, odd demeanor. We're talking about a life laid down for Jesus Christ. And when a man lays down his life for Jesus, he can be counted on. In God's economy, it's faithfulness that brings spiritual growth and advancement. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. For to everyone that has shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from him that has not shall be taken even which he seems to have. What that means is you're only going to receive more truth when you've responded to the truth you've already been given. Anytime you stop obeying God, anytime you resist what God's doing, immediately the flow stops and eventually you'll lose it. In my church, I teach my disciples, you've got to go to first base before you get to second base. See, if you're running the bases and you, and you don't step on first base, you've got to go back you got to go to first base before you get to second base. And then you got to go to second base before you get to third base. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you're faithful in what God is doing in your life right now, then you'll be given more. But you're not going to get any more unless you do what God wants you to do. See, there's people in my church that have been saved for 10 years. And there's people in my church that have been saved one year, 10 years in a row. The Pharisees are a great example of this. John the Baptist, he was the forerunner. He was the one to prepare the way of the Lord, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and children to the fathers. He was the voice crying out in the wilderness, but the Pharisees rejected him. You remember that? They rejected John the Baptist, and so when Jesus came on the scene, they said, hey, Jesus, by what authority do you do these things? He says, well, I'll answer that if you answer me a question. John the Baptist. Was he from heaven or men? Back to first base, boys. Let's talk about first base. Before we go to second base, before I give you any more revelation, can we let, who was John the Baptist? Huddle. They said, now. If we say he was from heaven, they'll say, he'll say, why didn't we believe him? 
If we say that he was from men or not a prophet, the people will stone us. Uh, Jesus, we just haven't figured it out yet, man. I, we, I don't know. And he says, then I'm not talking to you anymore. That's why he spoke in parables. He deliberately, why, why do you speak in parables? He says, because it's given to you, you know, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. Why? Because they're not listening. And they can sit right there until they decide they're going to listen. And that's the way it is with, with, with people in our churches, man. There's, that's the way it is with some of you in this room. There are people here at various levels of obedience to God. And God only gives you more truth when you respond to the truth he's already given you. It's a progression. It's an old fable, Aesop's fables, I believe, about some forest animals. They had a dilemma. They had a bundle of sticks that they were trying to break in half for whatever reason. I don't really remember. They wanted to break these sticks in half. And they're trying to break them over their knee and, you know, you know bang them on a rock. And they can't break the sticks. And so I guess I think it was the wise owl. He says, why don't you untie the bundle? And break them one at a time. That's the way God works with our lives. We come to him with a bundle of problems. We get saved, we get forgiven, and, but these problems have to be broken. And thank God he doesn't break them all at once. That would be hard. <coughs> oh, you know. But what God does, in the process of time, we come to church and he picks up one of the sticks and says, let's deal with this problem tonight, shall we? And if we respond, he breaks it, moves it to the side. We might get a little break, you know, and then you know, pretty soon he says, hey, guess what? Let's go on to this one now. Huh? You wanna, let's deal with this problem tonight. Okay, Lord. And we're just going along just fine, growing, growing, until all of a sudden God says, you know what? Let me, this, let's deal with this one tonight. No. I don't want to deal with that one tonight. That's fine. We'll just put that right back there. Next service, in the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter what pastor's preaching now. Every sermon, God says, shall we? Shall we? You ever notice that? Oh, you don't want to? Okay, that's fine. We'll just put that right back. Conference time. Run all the way to Chandler. Praise the Lord. Going to hear from you know, Pastor Payne here. Going to hear from Pastor Olson, Pastor Campbell. And guess what? There's God. How you doing? Got the same one, man. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's the tithe. Maybe it's, you know, you know, maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your marriage. I don't know what it is, but God knows what it is, and so do you. Because the goal of discipleship, friend, is character. It's all about character. That's why the Bible schools failed America miserably. Because you can learn Greek and Hebrew and still be a pervert. You can know hermeneutics and still be a selfish, wretched, disobedient dwarf. 
all about the character. It's all about God moving in our character. Motives. Oh, how the motives are tested in discipleship. When your brother is blessed and you are not. <laughs> Ambition. Honesty. Pastor Mitchell used to say, if you want the will of God for your life, then do the will of God for your life. That, that the premise of that is, if you want the will of God for your life 10 years from now, then do what you know is God's will right now. What's the will of God? Well, you need to come to church, and you need to read your Bible, and you need to pass out tracts, you need to pray, and pay your tithes. And then what? And then pray, and pass out tracts, and come to church, and read your Bible and tithe, and then come to church, and pray, and read your Bible, and pass out tracts, and read your Bible, and pay your tithes. And go to outreach. And in the context of that, God is going to deal with your character. And to him that has, more will be given. And this is why you see some people sit there like a toad. And others are rocketing for God. Because the issue is faithfulness. Billy Graham, you know, he's, he's coming to the end of his, his run. They say he's preached to more people than any, anyone in human history. They asked him, if you had it all to do over again different, what would you do? He said, I'd find 12 men and I'd pour my life into them. Why? Because mass evangelism is effective, friend, but will never reach the world without discipleship. It has the multiplying facet and you know something, friend? It's not the easiest way to build. All you got to do is open up the, 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 the magazines, Krispy Kremes, Starbucks in the foyer. One service. Right? Isn't that what they're doing? But those same magazines that are touting these people have articles that say that we're failing in discipling our people. Discipleship's not the easiest way to build. It's not the cheapest way to build. But it is the most eternal and fruitful way to build. I close with a, a story that I heard many years ago about a, a man who worked for a contractor. He had given his life working for this contractor, building houses, working for his wages, saved very little. He was bitter. Looked back on his life and said, man, look, I've, I've worked. I have very little to show for it. He had one more house to build for the guy. He says, forget it, man. I'm, I'm going to make it on this one. So he cut all the corners, man. Didn't do the foundation right. Used the worst materials. Didn't hire the right laborers. And just built something that looked good but was just a joke. Came into his boss. Threw him the keys. Says, there's your house. Thanks for the memories. And the boss says, you know what, man? You've been faithful. You've been worked all these years, and I wanted to bless you. I decided the last house you built was going to be yours. <laughs> You're going to inherit the work of your hands, Pastor. If you want to take the shortcuts, if you want to follow the religious world, it's going to fall down like a house of cards. But we've been called to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Better to have died a young movement 
than to drop this. We're called to disciple men. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.